Hey, welcome to Sweden in Transition, the podcast that meets change makers in Sweden. I am Sonia Lehmann and today I meet Osa Stenmark, researcher at IVL, the Swedish Environmental Institute. She is an expert on sustainable consumption, circular economy and waste management. Hi. Hi. <laughs> welcome. Thank you so much. In the podcast introduction, I say in a world in need of urgent reinvention. So the question I often ask is if you believe the world needs reinvention. Yeah, I definitely think we do. I mean, it's just, you know, you can just look at the climate threat that we are facing. I think definitely that we now are in a system where we can't be for too long. We're using too much of the world's resources. And we often talk about climate change, but there's also a material deficit. We see loss of materials that we won't be able to get back. In those terms, I definitely think that we need some some big change. And it's very much connected to our economic system of today with constant growth and uh, yeah, what that does to us. What do you mean by loss of material? Since we are in Sweden, I will take the incineration example. So we use plastics, right? And then we incinerate plastic and then we get heat from the plastic. And that's good because we need the heat. But we have also destroyed the raw material oil, sort of preventing ourselves from using that again. Uh, so that's sort of material loss. And in the same way, if you think of electronics, for example, on the circuit board, you have many different materials, minerals and metals. But we only pick out copper and gold, almost only, which means that many of these scarce uh, metals and minerals are sort of lost in the process. In the description of your role, it says first that you are a researcher in consumption. Does it mean that it all starts here in our consumption habits? Yeah, I think it does to a great extent. We know that Americans have like 100,000 stuff at home, and I don't think that Swedes or any other European person is any better than that. So we have enormous amounts of things that are surrounding us. And of course, we have bought all these things. And we can see that there is a huge difference from our consumption patterns if we just go back to the 50s or even 60s or 70s, where we had much slower consumption. You maybe bought a sofa when you got married, and then you had that sofa until the day you died. But now we kind of change sofas every second year, every fifth year or so. So it's uh, definitely sort of driving this material use that we have and ending up as waste, which we are not always so good at managing. Overconsumption is the flow of our economic model or of our society today. There is a high ecological consciousness in Sweden, but still they overconsume a lot. Mm -hmm. And do you think this is because of this trust in the recycling system and the waste management, how it's done here in Sweden, because it's done very well? Yeah, I, I think maybe it's partly that. The, and also the commercials that we see, like hand in your new phone because it will be recycled. Your old one will be recycled, which is, you know, to a certain extent true, but then lots of things will be lost along the way. Uh, not to mention the waste that is created when you're sort of producing the new phone. I also think it's linked to that. Not until maybe the last year or so have even talked about this. So we have talked a lot about transportation and how we should not fly, for example. So the flying scum, which is uh, all over. But I don't think that so many people made a connection between the consumption and the impact that the consumption has on the earth or our surrounding systems so far. So I think that that's something that's coming now and maybe we can see a change. 
It's also because like 10 years ago or so when we started to talk about waste prevention, how not to have so many wastes, we were directly linking it to consumption because we can see that what's ending up in household waste, it's basically what you buy, right? But also from industry, they are producing stuff and that's causing waste in the industry. We were mentioning this to decision makers and the like, and they were like very, very reluctant to talk about a changed consumption because that would be a threat towards the economic system that we have. So I think it's just like the last three, five years or so when we have actually started to talk about this in a more like neutral way, like, okay, we also need to address this consumption. And I know it's still quite controversial to talk about decreased consumption and overconsumption. Uh, maybe sometimes you have to say smarter consumption to sort of reach through. But I'm hoping that we have made that shift now and that we can also start to build that into person's consciousness or yeah, how you could educate people also on, on this matter. But then, of course, it would also take a little bit of changing the economic model for many companies to try to be more sustainable and to change from selling stuff to selling something else. Because we are depending on our economic system for other things that we do want to have, like healthcare and schools and elderly care and all those kind of societal things. They are, of course, depending also on that, that we earn money, that we spend money, that the taxes keeps coming in and so on. It's a chicken and an egg dilemma, perhaps almost. When you replace stuff by service, then you fear that it's not going to provide the growth that you had in the past. Mm. So exactly. Just trusting the fact that ultimately the system is going to reinvent and mm. create value. Mm. There are many studies showing that there will be more jobs even in a greener economy and that you could maybe have services going and repairs going. I'm, I'm in a project at the moment where we are trying to do reusable boxes and cups for lunches and, and takeaway coffee. And the fact that many of the restaurants are saying that it's cost us so much to have a person making the washing up, you know, and that's silly. It hinders the actual system to work. So they rather sell single-use takeaway, which is kind of crazy. And we end up on the question of price. Today, the prices of stuff mm. is not including the externalities. No. Sweden has good reputation on some topics mm. and it includes the waste management and recycling. Mm. Can you give us a snapshot of the situation in this country? If you look at household waste, we have almost nothing going to landfill. And then we have uh, roughly 40% going to incineration and then the rest going to recycling, which is both material recycling, but also anaerobic digestion for the food waste or and other organic wastes. And we have managed to do this, I think, because in the beginning of 2000, so 2002 and 2005, the Swedish government, they decided that it would be prohibited to first put waste that is possible to incinerate on landfill, and then also waste that is organic is forbidden to put on landfill. This was, of course, kind of stressful for the Swedish industry and uh, waste management uh, companies. But on the other hand, they also had incineration to sort of turn to. We have lots of incineration in Sweden and we have an overcapacity, which is kind of a good thing if you look at an EU perspective, because we're using the heat and we have the system to use the heat. So we could ultimately help uh, countries with not the need for heat, not the systems built and still a lot of landfilling. We are depending a lot on the incineration, I would say, for all the tricky waste, for all the non-sorted waste, for lazy households, for lazy industries. They can just put it into the incineration bin and it will be taken care of. 
But then on the bad side, we have enormous amounts of waste. Every Swede, you just, just look at the household waste, we produce around 480 kilograms per inhabitant, which is a lot compared to other countries. Then that brings back the question of consumption, of course. And then if we look at recycling, we have two strong goals. So the first one is on food waste, and it's a Swedish national environmental goal that we should collect all food waste separately from households and from restaurants and uh, food service, and that this should be treated biologically with anaerobic digestion, so we make use of the gas. We have had that goal for a long time, and it's been very driving in terms of municipalities setting up collection systems for food waste, which is now almost everywhere in, in Sweden. Always on a voluntary basis, though, so still a lot of food waste also going to incineration. And then the second thing is that for the producer responsibility, we took the EU legislation in 1994 and implemented it, making the producers responsible for collecting the packaging. But anyway, it has been communicated to households that you should source sort for a very long time. And even before 94, we had glass separation and paper separation, especially the paper separation, because we have a huge paper industry in Sweden. They needed the paper as a raw material. So already when the other producer responsibilities for packaging were coming, we were sort of used to sort certain fractions. If you ask Swedes, like I think it's 80-90% saying that they are source separating. Then when you ask what fractions, it's like metals and glass is the most and, and, and paper is the common ones and then plastic is the least separated one. But anyway, we have this tradition of sorting and also tradition of learning it to kids and so on. So I think that that's one reason why we sort of, it looks like we are doing quite well. Because of incineration mm. overcapacity, it was a bit disappointing because you would sort things out and then they would be thrown uh, back into the incinerator. Uh, well, yeah, that's not really true. So we've been looking into how incineration overcapacity, if that sort of hinders recycling or not. And I think maybe in the beginning it did a little bit because we had lousy fractions and not valuable enough to sort of do anything with. But if you look at it now, we also have a goal. Sweden has a national goal of becoming a fossil free nation in 2045. That has made many municipalities, which are often the owners of the incineration plants, to say that, okay, we are to be fossil free. We cannot burn plastics anymore. And plastic is sort of the big problem. So that sort of changed the picture a little bit. Still, I think also one need to understand that when you collect things, you do your best in sorting, but then you will end up with a fraction that is, you know, wrongly sorted or too dirty or not suitable for, for recycling. I mean, cardboard or metals, not so sensitive at all because the, the recycling processes are more like, okay, in metals, melt it down. If it's something wrong there, it will burn. <laughs> you know, you will get your metals out. But in plastics, it's a completely different story. It's much more, much, much harder to get sort of the clean fractions out. Uh, of course, there are black stories with, you know, recycling companies collecting, sending it to other countries for incineration or sending it mixed to incineration in Sweden. Or So it's not a completely like shiny <laughs> pink story about this, but it's a bit unfair to say that. And it's a bit of a rumor also that even though we, if we collect it differently, you can see one truck coming and pick it up and then put it all in the same bin. But... In reality, if you would look inside that truck, it's different compartments in the truck. So these are some, I don't know, some urban myths, yeah. perhaps. Well, we have around. the same. Yeah. So beyond the incinerator, you have uh, invested in facilities for recycling plastic. Mm -hmm. The company managing the plastic waste and their owners, which is the then the Swedish retailers, basically, and the private uh, side of plastic packaging, they decided uh, 
2018 and then built it during 2019, an own sorting facility for plastic packaging with the capacity to take the household plastic packaging in Sweden. Uh, so it's quite a big facility. Before we had a smaller facility and also exported parts of our uh, unsorted plastic to Germany. So I think that's uh, sort of a proof, perhaps, that the world is changing. So how many bins or how many flows? <laughs> well, it depends on where you're living in Sweden. At home, you will have all the packaging. If you're a super good <laughs> citizen, you will have food waste, you will have plastic, cardboard, metals, glass, and then you will have papers like newspaper. So I think that these are maybe the most common one. Then you most likely also have batteries. You have electronics. You have uh, hazardous waste that you could leave separately. You will have medications, but those last ones are tiny ones. So the packaging ones are the biggest ones, I would say. And then you will also have a rest fraction, so to speak, where you can put everything that, that can't go into any other fraction. There are a lot more second-hand shops mm -hmm. than in other countries. Okay. Is that um, a habit? People really do use them? Not only to give away what they don't use anymore, but also to buy. I think it's still much more common that you donate to them rather than buying from them. But I also think that they are very much increasing in popularity. You could just see how they are labeling themselves and also how it looks when you get in there. It's not like a dirty thrift shop. It's a fancy fashion shop instead. So they are definitely working on their appearance. Before they were often like some place in the city, not so easily accessed and so on. And But now they are close to shopping malls. So I think it's actually growing, which is of course super good. With new concepts, for example, secondhand shops where they upcycle. Mm, yeah. So they, they reshape it mm. in a modern style, but with the old garment, mm. the new generation of secondhand yeah. shops. We talked about waste and recycling, but it's actually consuming a lot of energy to recycle. So that's not the solution. If we want to achieve Paris Agreement, for example, we need to think differently. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so, um, we talk a lot about circular economy. It's like the complete circle. Nothing goes out of there, right? But to be honest, there's sort of impossible due to laws of thermodynamics. So there will always be some wastes coming out. And up until today, we also have the issue of material quality being lost in each circle. Plastic is the most common example, but also when you recycle iron, you will have uh, impurities. So you constantly need to add new materials into the recycled materials in order to keep the quality. Then, as you say, it's also an energy cost. It costs energy to regrind plastics or to melt metals or to wash things or whatever. And of course, we should make recycling as good as possible, but it will never be the solution. Some people also think that, okay, but if we're circling materials, we can just expand on the circle, but that won't work either because then it will be too much material flowing and too much energy consumption in the circle. So we need to keep the circle actually smaller than it is today in terms of amounts and slower than it is today in terms of how fast materials moves around in the society. But I think it's a, the danger of the concept of circular economy that we think circular and then we think that we can solve it all with recycling, but we really need to look into these inner loops uh, as well. I don't know if I have the figures right, but I think paper and carton, you can only recycle seven times. Yeah, and it's, and it's about the same also for plastic. Plastic, it's yeah. even lower. Mm, depending on the plastic mm. type, but yes. And I mean, some materials are not even suitable for recycling at all. 
Can you define for us circular economy? It's looking at, at an economy where you have the resources flowing in a different way. So instead of taking resource out from the earth and then you use it for, you know, long or short time, but often too short, and then you put it to waste in a landfill or burning it in an incineration plant. So it's not usable anymore. That means that you constantly have to bring lots of new things into your system. So making it circular means that we should make use of what we are not using anymore. We should new, use as new materials or products again. That's the sort of basic concept. If a company, for example, wanted to start, what would they look at? It's a tricky question. It will depend a lot of what company. But I would say that, first of all, the company itself could look at its own maybe overusage of stuff. So, for example, we use a lot of packaging, but also between businesses to businesses, but also business to cons consumer. That's the easy part, I would say. And you will f most likely find things that you can change. And then you could, in that context, of course, also think about, okay, what materials are we using? packaging and products. And then you would have to do the more heavy work of looking into your business model. What are we putting on the market? And if we were not to do that anymore, how could we then earn the amount of money that we would need to earn to, to stay in, in the business? And is there a possible way of transitioning towards that? There are examples of drilling companies renting drills instead of selling drills could also be how could we look at our ownership of the products that we have or the if we sort of rent it out to the customer instead and then we can take it back refurbish rent it out to the other customer and so on so there are many different ideas there everyone should be brave enough to sort of try to do that and then it won't work for everyone So there will be, as in every transition, there will be companies going out of business, but most likely also new companies coming, right? So, which is always hard to see when you're still sort of sitting in the middle. Obviously harder for the large old companies to sort of change business models rather than new coming small companies, maybe starting already with a circular business model. So it's a longer way for the bigger ones, I would But say. The bigger ones, they have yeah. their production line, they invest it, so they need yeah. to pay back. So this is so part of the problem, right? Mm. Sort of, it's not a quick fix. From speaking to many, many companies of different kinds, I would say that I think the winners are the ones that are at least trying to start with small steps or with bigger things, but just trying things out rather than the ones saying that, okay, no, this is too hard, so we will wait a little bit. <laughs> And there <laughs> are those who are not acknowledging it, seeing the reality is yeah. too tough. Yeah. It's really what happened with Kodak. Mm, and exactly, yeah. Digitalization. Mm. To summarize, there are two options, reducing mm. the resources that yeah. you use yeah. for your product, which I call mm. eco-design, mm -hmm. yeah. and then it's changing business model mm. and moving yeah. from product to service. Mm. I think you're working on very concrete projects. I can tell you about one that we have on a return system for cups and boxes, takeaway cups and boxes for people to be able to buy takeaway lunch or coffee or tea in uh, reusable cups and boxes. So we're trying it out at the moment. There are systems like this already, like Recap in Germany, for example. So it's not like we are the first in the world here, <laughs> but it's still very interesting to make such a concrete thing out in reality. We're also, of course, evaluating what the customer thinks, what, what the staff thinks, what's going on. So that will be extremely interesting. 
But that's really going back to, uh, for example, the Coca-Cola bottles. Yeah. Originally, they were mm. in glass yeah. and it was all set up so mm. you can just give back the glass bottle mm. to Coca-Cola and they will fill it again. Yeah. And I think that many of the reuse sort of ideas that now are popping up is basically going back to what we had before. And But we have sort of forgotten these things, right? It's so. common sense, really. It looks yeah. like we've lost it along the way. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, another thing we're doing is that we're setting up a voluntary agreement between all the different parts of the food chain in Sweden, together with also the authorities involved on how to reduce food waste and food losses. Because the idea is that every step of the food value chain, they work a lot within their own step on how to reduce food waste. But if you try to reduce it on one step, it might occur on another step. So it's changing the place where it occurs. And the idea is that then to work as a more of a unit you could be able to find these this opportunities of reducing food waste. Explain us how could a waste be removed from one step and moved to the other step? If you decide that you will not sell a certain variety of apples in the stores this year because you see that they go bad fast in the store. So you, you throw away a lot of apples and you, you don't buy them in. But then they will be thrown away anyway at the apple grower perhaps or in some earlier stage because the apples are still there. And so that's one example. But then there are other examples of maybe not pushing waste, but maybe by other standards, like quality standards, pushing waste in different directions. So we have one issue with date labeling that if you're buying from a wholesaler to the retail, you want a third of the lifespan of the product to be left when mm -hmm. you get it to the store. Mm. Yeah, which is, you know, for fresh food that might be reasonable, but for pasta or rice or whatever, it's like stupid. And you also have like quality standards on fruit and veg, for example, that makes the farmer not being able to sell stuff. So there are many examples, not always of pushing between the different steps, but also how different rules or regulations, standards or manners within different steps also causes waste up and downstream. So who would you put around the table to work together? It's the uh, Swedish food, it's the agriculture sector, mm -hmm. it's the food industry, it's the uh, groceries and the retail and wholesale we have engaged. And then we have food service and not so strong, of course, on households, even though a lot of food waste is occurring there, but hard to engage uh, 10 million people. So. But so we have representatives from all the steps and looking for more. So if someone is interested, it's just to contact me. I think that collaboration is the way forward. What changed a lot in France is when they passed the law for zero food waste at the retailers, mm -hmm. you know, of this yeah, law. Yeah, yeah. And surprisingly, it doesn't exist in Sweden. And no. same, we had this law against plastic bags a long time ago mm. now. The Swedish way of doing things is more of consensus building. So sometimes it's a slow process. For the plastic bags, the government decided to take a more voluntary approach. But now they're putting a tax under a huge debate. You're putting a tax on it. And for food, I think that they were happy with the goals that we have on collection of waste. Overall, do you think it's moving in the right direction and is it going fast enough? I think it's moving in the right direction. I think that we can see huge change just the last three, five years or so in terms of interest from both society, but more, maybe more important from businesses themselves. Like if we're going fast enough, maybe not really. So the issue is really urgent and I think that we need to, we need to make the transition a little bit faster. And here I think that both businesses could really, they could make a change, but then they also, they need policymakers that are also a bit stepping up and, and not lagging behind. What will be decisive? 
maybe that we will see more of these like bans you mentioned, but maybe bans for other things. But also, I think we will see more of taxes and the like. I would prefer on EU level, actually, because I think that if we do something in Sweden and we have, for example, investigated tax on, on plastic, fossil plastic, still we are 10 million. And of course, we can be a front runner and show everyone that's possible. But it would be so much powerful if it could be on an EU level. Do you feel at EU level something is changing? From what I see, I mean, for example, the single-use plastic directive, it was taken in less than a year, which I think is, you know, crazy. When I read that it was coming in the beginning of the year, I was like, yeah, we'll wait like two, three years for that. But then it has happened. I think that at least some politicians also sense the urgency and really want to act fast. Where do you get your energy from? <laughs> I love to see when I and colleagues of, of mine can make a difference. And my main driving force is like, I want to change it so that we live sustainably on Earth. So I'm, I'm optimistic. Otherwise, I might have quit. That gives me the most energy. Things are changing. That's my energy source. <laughs> Do you have a quote that inspires you? Yeah, I do, actually. It's uh, Theodore Roosevelt who has said this, and he said, like, there are three things that we could do in times of changes. So the best thing that we could do is to make the right choice, of course, and the right change. The second best thing that we could do is to make the wrong choice or the wrong change. But the worst thing that we can do is to make no change at all. So I really think that this is something that we should live by because sometimes we are so afraid to make the wrong decision so we don't do anything at all, which just leaves us standing in the same spot. To drive change, we need to be a little bit brave and to try to do what we think is best for the time. And if that's not best, then also be brave to say, okay, that didn't work, let's try another thing. So I really try to live that in my whole life, actually. But yeah, I think that that's an inspiring thought. And do you have a book? Your recommend? I really liked The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> so I would recommend that by Douglas Adams. It's uh, far away from my topic <laughs> of, of work, but I think that is a hilarious book. Then if you're more into to other things, I would like to recommend the, the book of uh, Reinventing or Organizations. Great. <laughs> Thanks for Thank this you. conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot to Osa Stenmar for taking the time and thank you all for listening. Please let us know your comments about the podcast or review it on iTunes so more people can discover it. Hello! Hey